Thank you, Pastor Greg. I agree with what he just said. What a blessing the stories have been. That's been awesome. Thank you. All right, so to start with, I want you to pair up with the person next to you. And it can be three if you need to. It could be three people. And I'm going to give you one minute to remember as many things as you can about Daniel in the Old Testament, the prophet Daniel. So find someone. Ready? Go. All right, stop. Okay, so somebody shout out in three words or less. What did you remember about Daniel? So what was that? Lion's Den. Nebuchadnezzar. Influenced the king. He prayed. Vegetarian. What's with that in the Bible? Yes, yes, he did. He went on a couple of different fasts, one of them being a no meat, no alcohol fast. Statue, the weird bow down to the statue thing, and somebody else in the fire with him, right? Interpreted dreams, absolutely. Where was he? In Babylon, in Babylon. Okay, so my name's Jody Bunn. My husband and I, I have a slideshow. There we go. And uh, we're going to talk about power in partnership. It's going to be awesome how it's going to all come together. That's a word of faith right there. Maybe you recognize that. And especially today, power in partnership is your theme for the session. And especially we're going to talk about, you're going to have to advance for me. Mike, thank you. Uh, we're especially going to talk about power in intergenerational partnership. Did it advance? Can you bump it? Okay, we'll ignore the slides. You guys smile and nod when they're catching up, and then we'll know we're on the same page. Okay, so... Um, they there? All right, all right. Mike and I, after serving in South Africa for two years and then Brazil for 17 years, Mike's a pilot. He flew an airplane on wheels in South Africa, airplane on floats in Brazil, and now he's flying helicopters. I just got a picture on my phone yesterday of him in front of the helicopter with a bunch of kids sitting on the ground, and he's talking about missions in Ohio, I think. And um, so we're doing this fun missions life thing and have lots of kids. You can show the next picture for that. And in 2010, the Lord brought us back to the United States, and we are now involved in training rather than operations on the field and loving that. And our kids are ages 16 to 25. And I am fascinated right now with longevity, with the idea that God gives us the grace to do things, even hard things, for a long time. So some of you might have been here a couple of years ago. I was absorbed with Jeremiah and somehow did a melange with my story and Jeremiah and stories. And, and um, now I'm all about Daniel. Daniel is amazing. If it is, it's a short little book. 
but there is so much in there. And so don't get caught up in the whole statues with the horns and what does all, what do all those visions and prophecies mean? But I encourage you to read the book of Daniel in one sitting just to learn about Daniel the man. Because somehow Daniel managed to serve God for 70 years in a very pagan culture. And so we're going to take a look at uh, Daniel's life because I believe that we are in a season very similar to that of the people of Israel in the book of Daniel. Okay, let me explain what I mean. Daniel was raised in a godly Israel. Well, Judah, the southern kingdom. He lived near Jerusalem. He was one of the royal kings or noble kings, uh, um, noble young men and of the tribe of Judah. And he lived in King Josiah's Judah. So King Josiah was the boy king who became a king when he was just a little guy and God got a hold of his heart and he cleaned up the temple and he found the word of God and he had the word of God read and revival broke out. And for 40 years, King Josiah was a godly king. And that was Daniel's formative years. And Daniel was one of the noble families, from one of the noble families. So he might have been, this is speculation on my part, he might have been first cousin to King Josiah. But King Josiah was eh, maybe 20 years older than him. We don't know exactly how old Daniel was when he was taken into captivity. It just says he was a young man. So I don't know if teens or 20s, somewhere in there. And, um, and Josiah was 40 when he died. So Daniel's formative years are in a godly nation, okay? In a godly culture. And he lays a solid foundation of a relationship with God. But then Josiah dies, and it's one bad king after another, and the people of Israel are just down the tubes and just into idolatry and wickedness and um, cruelty. And after only five years of this downward spiral, the Babylonians come into Israel to judge the people of God because God has warned them through all the prophets, repent or it's coming. You are not keeping your side of the covenant and I'm going to have to bring judgment. So after this solid foundation of godliness... In, and a godly culture that he's raised in. There's five years of confusion, and then Daniel is ripped out of his home and taken together with other noble young men to Babylon, where they're castrated and put into a school to learn the Babylonian dark arts and sciences, because they are now going to become that are going to help uh, rule other nations. So that's where the beginning of the story is. That's Daniel 1. That's how it starts. We're going to see how does he do this. And the reason that I say that I believe that we're living in a Daniel generation is because a lot of us, I just turned 50 this year, and a lot of us in this room remember the United States as a Christian nation. We remember the United States as a nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian values, where you kind of had things in common, and um, if you started talking about faith, about Christianity, people kind of knew what you were talking about, and very, very quickly, the United States has become a post-Christian nation, even to the point now where it's not just neutral, it's kind of anti-Christian. Are you guys feeling that? 
because I'm in the Bible Belt in North Carolina, and we're already feeling it down there. There's some really dark things happening. And we're at a generation now where, like Daniel and his friends, we're trying to figure out, wait, what does this look like? There's a lot of culture stuff happening here. Some of it's bad, and some of it's good, and then there's this huge gray area, and how am I supposed to live this? And I have friends that are just all over the place with their faith journeys, and how do I be a friend to them and still tell my Jesus story and not sure about the values that I was raised with, how much of that was culture, and here we are stuck in the gray zone. Can anyone identify with me? This is it. This is where we're at, people. So we're going to look at the life of Daniel and find out how did, he, how did partnership serve him, okay? So um, the book of Daniel, the first half of it is the narrative of Daniel and the life of his three closest friends. And right away when they're taken to Babylon, they're given Babylonian names, so they're Jewish names glorify God, and their Babylonian names glorify the Babylonian gods, Marduk and, and Bel and things like that. And apparently from the text, they don't protest. And like I said before, they're castrated. And it doesn't sound like they protest. It's not mentioned. And then they're given non-kosher food. And they go, oh, that's not going to work. So they respectfully negotiate a different diet with the eunuch that's in charge of the students that have just come into the school. Huh. This, it, it sounds like it was right in the first weeks. But what they've done is they're looking back at, well, you know, call me whatever you want. My name can be this or that. It's no big deal. I know who I am whatever. And I have no control over the medical procedure you've just put me through. But I do remember that God's word says not to eat shrimp. And probably the meat was offered to idols and pork. And so can we, can we work on something different? And they do that respectful negotiation because they have some light from the word of God. And where the word of God is clear, they're going to stand strong. And then there's other gray stuff that happens. They learn the language. They attend the classes. So along with like botany and language and history and things like that, they would have also been taught astronomy and astrology and divination and magic. And from the text, we can deduce they were the best students in the class. They aced those tests. They didn't say no. I won't study your dark arts. They said, we'll study your stuff, whatever. We know who we are. And they studied them without opening their hearts to evil. Do you hear where I'm going with this? And somehow, the Spirit of God gave them the wisdom to know how to navigate those things. And... Uh, in the church today, in our generation, I fear that we tend to go to two different extremes. We tend to huddle ourselves in Christian ghettos because we're really scared of that stuff out there. Uh, in preparation for this, I read two books 
Um, one of them was by Larry Osborne. It's called Thriving in Babylon. And he says, sometimes we fear our God may not be as big as our Babylon. Wow. He's big enough. He's got this. He's got this. And so Daniel went to Babylon having, first of all, firmly partnered with those older than himself. I'm going to read to you a list, a biblical list, of the people older than himself that spoke into and formed Daniel's life. King Josiah, who I already mentioned. During his formative years, the prophetess Huldah was a big part of partnering with Josiah to call the people to repentance back to God's word. The prophets Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Jeremiah called the Jewish people back to God. About a hundred years before Daniel's life, the prophet Isaiah prophesied this whole thing, and Daniel studied the book of Isaiah. Living near Jerusalem, he was frequently at the temple, soaking in this community worship of the people of God, soaking it all up. That formed his identity. I'm telling you, bring your kids to church. Bring your grandkids, your nephews, your nieces. Give them godly friendships, godly community, godly family. Let them be a part of the kingdom. And scripture says that Daniel and these other two men, I'm, I'm reading now from chapter one, were strong, healthy, good-looking young men who showed an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom of Babylon. Daniel let the generation above him pour into his life, and he had that in place before he went. When he was there then, he developed humble mutual partnership with peers, with godly peers. The scripture, the text tells us over and over again, the king says, I had a dream. Tell me what this dream is. Daniel goes back to his three friends and say, head, pray for me. God's got to tell us what the dream is. Then he goes to bed and sleeps and God reveals to him what the dream is. Over and over, he and his friends, his peers, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, fasted and prayed together, like we said before, the, the partial fast and a full fast. How did they figure out? How did they navigate? How did they have the wisdom to figure out the gray spaces? They did it with the power of the Spirit of God. There were also other godly ministers and pastors at the time that Daniel was also a minister and a, and a prophet. Uh, Ezekiel began to prophesy before Daniel went into captivity, and he continued afterwards. He often referred to Daniel's godly example. You can read it in the book of Ezekiel. So did Jeremiah. In fact, Daniel so respected Jeremiah the prophet, who was in Jerusalem prophesying at the same time that Daniel was in Babylon prophesying, that in Daniel 9, it says that Daniel was reading and studying the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. That Daniel himself would write that those words, that Jeremiah's prophecies were the word of the Lord. That was such respect for another prophet, for a colleague. He was, like any good minister or missionary, listening to podcasts of other missionaries and pastors, soaking himself in solid teaching of other men of God. Peers, he partnered with the Holy Spirit over and over again, seeking the Spirit for dreams and visions. And this one may surprise you. Another group of peers that Daniel partnered with 
was his ungodly bosses. Daniel took to heart teachings from both Isaiah and Jeremiah that the Israelites in exile should serve the nation where God had placed them. They were there because of God. And that they should serve. And that they should pray and they should bless the nation where God had placed them. And so he did his very best for his bosses. Even though they were cruel, arbitrary, murderous, pagan, Arrogant, narcissistic, unreasonable. Wow. There's something there for us, right? In our jobs, we are not always, sometimes God's going to place us in toxic places so that we can bring light. Will we serve wholeheartedly? The New Testament talks about slaves, slaves, serve your master as though that was Jesus. Not just when he's watching, but all the time. And that's the way Daniel served with integrity. He earned respect. There's a time when the king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he had a dream. Daniel interpreted the dream. Daniel said, oh, king, this is a terrible dream. I wish this were about your enemies because God's going to judge you. What love, what affection for the king that had taken him into captivity. It's amazing. And then he said, repent, stop sinning, and treat the poor better. It's amazing. At the age of his 80s and 90s, this is the last one, um, we're looking at a Daniel that's now older, and he's partnering down to the generation after him, to those younger than himself. He's been a leader among the Jewish people. He's had these older ones that have poured into his life. He's had these godly peers that have kept him sharp. And now he's investing in the generation after himself. And uh, about two or three years before Daniel dies, he goes to King Cyrus, the Medes, and he says, you know, it's time for the people of Jerusalem to go back and build their city. It's been prophesied in the book of Isaiah. Can you let him go? And three years before he dies, by now he's in his 80s or his 90s, he doesn't get to go. But he packs up the bags and waves off the group that go with Ezra to rebuild their holy city, his home, his home. And there is a remnant in that generation because Daniel invested in them, because he stood strong. Now, I love thinking about his age. My mom and dad... It was such an honor. I loved, loved hearing Mike and Joyce talk about my, my dad's influence in their life. My mom and dad, Rich and Esther, they send their greetings, Colleen Rich. And um, they're in their mid-70s now, and they've just retired down to live with us. Retired. They've semi-retired because now my dad is on my teaching staff, and he's helping train new missionaries that are headed out to the mission field. And you should see him teach the book of Ephesians and talk about worldviews and don't even get him started in talking about spiritual warfare and deliverance and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the new generation of missionaries that are headed out are just soaking it up. And he is praying over them and blessing them and sending them out. And in our Daniel generation... If there's a shaking, and there was in Israel at that time, people that were kind of culturally God's people, 
fell away. And scripture says that that'll happen in our generation as well. Cultural Christians aren't going to bother. It's only going to be a faithful remnant, those of us that are radically committed to the kingdom of God. And um, in our churches right now, we have, they call us generations. I say we are one generation. All of us who are alive on planet earth at this moment in time in the kingdom but, you know, sociologists study these things. They say we got silent generation, we got the baby boomers, we got the generation X, that's my group. Then after me comes the millennials and the Gen Zs who are just finishing college now. And we are different cultures. We've got different values, we've got different life experiences. And the easy thing to do is to hang with people that think like me. You know that? especially in an election year. Let's just name this thing, people. <laughs> oh, please, for the love of the kingdom, please don't get crazy during this election year. Please. Because the kingdoms will rise and fall, and presidents will get elected and then get out of office. And nations may be Christian culturally and then not post-Christian or pagan. So we join the rest of the body of Christ and now we live in an unchristian nation and we will be shaken and we want to be of the remnant. And one of the ways that we can do that is by strengthening our intergenerational relationships, our partnerships between the generations. So, listen to what Daniel said at the end, my last slide, at the end um, of Daniel 7. He said, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. That was Jesus. He approached the ancient one, that's God, who was sitting on the throne and was led into his presence. He, Jesus, was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Never be destroyed. So I invite you to stand up with me. I'm going to pray over us. My challenge for you is... Um, like Daniel, of course, let's pray for our nation, repenting of our sins. Um, please be willing to ask the Lord to show you if you have a... Do I have enough trust with you guys to put this out there? Ask the Lord to show you if you have a prejudice in your heart against another age group or generation. If you've been listening to lies of the enemy, like, oh... Those teenagers, blah, blah, blah. If you're getting older, don't get grumpy. Stay sweet with Jesus. Stay loving. Those teenagers need you. They need your love. They need your friendship. They need your prayer. And if you're a young adult or a millennial, a lie of your generation is, those old guys don't get it. It's true. You're living something that we have not lived. 
But the Spirit of God has called a remnant from the millennial and Gen Z generation. And you will be the Daniel generation that will get us through this. You will be the ones. The Spirit of God is on you. And we are here with you. We will stand with you. We will see this thing through. Because the kingdom of God is eternal. It will never end. And we will be represented there before the throne worshiping him. So Spirit of God, if there is, if there are lies and divisions that the enemy has caused in our hearts, we just repent of those right now. We will be a multi-generational church. We will love it. We will rock it. We will listen to the dad jokes and laugh. We will listen to the grandparents' stories over and over because they forgot they told us that one already. We will listen to the teenagers talk about their weird games. We will love on them. We will make space for the millennials in our lives. We Gen X's will not check out. We will stay engaged, not be self-absorbed in our families and our careers. Because we, the body of Christ, in our generation, you have given us what we need right here. And your spirit is on us as we stand and walk together for your kingdom. So now I want to ask you, to ask the Lord for someone a little older than yourself that you need to spend some time with and someone a little younger than yourself that you need to spend some time with. So Holy Spirit, put that, those two faces in each one of our minds right now. And Lord, we also need some godly peers. Put that face in our mind right now as well. Who do we need to meet for coffee and pray together? And Holy Spirit, fill us with power as we walk together. Your people, your remnant on the church for this, your generation, the Daniel generation. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.